Welcome to the podcast of Selmore Baptist Church in Ozark, Missouri. To learn more about our church, please visit selmorebaptist.com. And now, here's the sermon. All right, if you have your Bibles this morning, turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. We're going to be in chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Today we do begin a new sermon series in this book. Ecclesiastes is part of what we call the wisdom literature of the Bible. It is written by the wisest man to have ever lived, King Solomon of Israel. For those who may not be familiar, let's talk a little bit about King Solomon and his background, just for a moment. Solomon was the son of King David and Bathsheba, the woman with whom King David had an infamous affair and who later would become his wife. This was a grievous episode in David's life, one of which he repented, and God in his great mercy restored David and blessed him. This reminds us that our God is a forgiving God and a God of second chances. Before King David died, he announced that Solomon, his son, would succeed him on his throne. Early on in Solomon's reign, the Bible says that Solomon loved the Lord walking in the statutes of his father David. In fact, shortly after Solomon took over, God appeared to him in a dream. And he said, Solomon, ask me anything, excuse me, anything, and I'll give it to you. And Solomon, to his credit, didn't ask for great wealth or power or long life. Rather, he asked that the Lord would give him an understanding heart that he might rightly judge God's people. In other words, he asked for wisdom, that he might lead the nation well. And Solomon's request pleased the Lord. And the Bible says that God gave Solomon wisdom unlike anyone who had ever come before him or anyone after him. And then on top of that, God said, because you did not ask for great honor or great riches, I'm going to give you those things too. Wow, that's a good deal for Solomon. The bottom line, there's never been another man like Solomon, both in terms of wisdom and in terms of wealth. And so we hear that, and we think, man, Solomon must have had the perfect life. He was king of Israel. He had supernatural wisdom. He had everything he could possibly ever want. Wouldn't that be a fine thing to be in his shoes? But then you read the book of Ecclesiastes written by Solomon toward the end of his life, and you realize that this was a man who for the majority of his time on this earth was not happy. This was a man who had a lot of regrets, who would have done a lot of things differently. Even though Solomon had every material thing that he could ever want, he wasn't satisfied. There was still something lacking. There was something missing. There was a hole in his life that he just couldn't seem to fill, no matter how he tried. And we'll see that as as we work our way through this book over the next 10 weeks. There are times when you read the book of Ecclesiastes, and it's just dark, and it's depressing. And you think, why am I reading this? This is really a downer. And furthermore, it begs the question, what happened to Solomon? How did he sink to this point of despair when his reign as king started off so promising and with such potential? Well, the answer to that question is no mystery. 
The Bible tells us plainly what happened to Solomon. Solomon had two primary weaknesses, and they were directly linked. Sexual promiscuity and idolatry. 1 Kings 11 says that King Solomon, quote-unquote, loved many foreign women, 700 wives, 300 concubines. Solomon collected women like trinkets. And the Bible says that these wives turned his heart after other gods and that his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God. God was very clear with the Israelites in the law that they were not to intermarry with the pagan peoples around them, that doing so would cause them to be led astray into the worship of those people's false gods. And that is precisely what happened with Solomon. And so even though Solomon, by earthly standards, by earthly standards, had everything that a man could want, women and wealth and wisdom, for a large portion of his adult life, he was not in fellowship with the Lord his God, and it left a hole in his heart that, try as he might, he could not fill. The book of Ecclesiastes is, in essence, King Solomon looking back over his life and saying to us, don't make the mistakes that I made. Don't spend your life pursuing these things that cannot fulfill you and will not matter for anything in the end. And then at the conclusion of this book, Solomon tells us what does matter. And he tells us what is important and how we should live our lives. And so I'll warn you up front, Ecclesiastes is a very raw book. You're going to hear the very real thoughts and feelings of a man about his life. And they're not sugar-coated. This book is a brutally honest look into a man's heart and the struggles and the regrets that he has. But just remember, as we read, and this is important, even in those times when it seems like Solomon is in a dark place, the reason why Solomon is writing these things is not to leave us in that dark place, but to point us to the one who makes life worth living. And so remember that. That's essential to understanding this book. Well, that gives us a little bit of an introduction to Ecclesiastes. So let's begin reading now. And today we're going to cover verses 1 through 11 in chapter 1. The title of today's sermon taken from the text is Vanity of Vanities. So let's begin by reading chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. It says, The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. And we'll pause there. First of all, verse 1 introduces us to the author of this book. He refers to himself as the preacher. This is where the title of the book comes from. Ecclesiastes actually means preacher or one who calls or gathers the people. So the idea here is that the author is calling us, the reader, to gather around and hear what he has to say to hear the wisdom that he has to impart. Then the author tells us that he is the son of David, the king in Jerusalem. And this self-description undoubtedly then points to King Solomon as the author of this book. In verse 2, Solomon uses a word that will come up time and time again in this book. In fact, 38 times in total. Many commentators would say this word could be called the theme of this book, and that word is the term vanity. Again, 
Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Now, what does Solomon mean when he uses the term vanity? Well, I don't know about you, but the first thing I think of when I think of the word vanity is often pride. But that's not necessarily how Solomon uses the term in this book. MacArthur says that Solomon uses the term vanity in basically three ways in this book. Number one, meaning that it's fleeting or temporary. Number two, meaning that something is futile or meaningless. And number three, meaning that something is unfathomable or incomprehensible. So every time that we see the word vanity in this book, we need to ask ourselves, which one of these three ways is Solomon using the word in this instance? In verse 2, Solomon's using the word vanity in the sense of something being futile or meaningless. He basically begins this book by making the statement, life is pointless. Life is meaningless. It's all vanity. And remember, that's not necessarily true, but it's honestly how he feels. We're getting a very raw look into his heart and soul. And then in the following verses, Solomon gives us three basic reasons why he believes this to be the case, why he believes that all is vanity. So let's look at these together, and we'll begin by looking at verses 3 and 4. Here's what Solomon says next. What profit has a man from all his labor in which he toils under the sun? One generation passes away, and another generation comes. So here's the first reason he says all is vanity. All is vanity because you can't take it with you when you go. In verse 3, Solomon basically says, you spend all of this time in your life working and laboring and toiling under the sun, and what's it all for? Just so you can pass it away, or pass away and, and leave all your stuff to another generation? Solomon really struggles with the idea that you can't take it with you when you go. This is something that really bothers him, probably because he does have so much wealth. And this sentiment comes up time and time and time again in this book. In fact, listen to how Solomon puts his feelings in chapter 2, verses 18 through 20. He says, Then I hated all my labor in which I had toiled under the sun, because I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool? Yet he will rule over all my labor in which I toiled, in which I have shown myself wise under sun. This also is vanity. Therefore, I turned my heart and despaired of all the labor in which I had toiled under the sun. Basically, Solomon says, I'm going to leave all this stuff to my kids, and what if they're fools? They might be bad stewards. They might blow everything I leave behind to them or squander it on stupid stuff, video games. And then what? What was the point of all my work? What was the point of all my labor? Now let's be clear. It's wrong and it's simple to be overly concerned and obsessed with material things and accumulating things because we all know in the end, stuff is just stuff. And Solomon probably does cross that line where he's a little obsessed with his stuff. He's materialistic. But on the other hand, I would say maybe let's not be too hard on Solomon because I do think that God puts in all of our hearts a desire that what we do in this life matters and that it stands the test of time. We want to think that 
we've accomplished something worthwhile and lasting that won't be squandered or wasted away by those who follow us. And that desire in and of itself is not necessarily wrong. But the key is there's a way to do that in a manner that honors God. And we'll circle back around to that at the end of the sermon. But for now, I want to look at the next reason why Solomon says that all is vanity. Look at verses 5 through 10. The sun also rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it arose. The wind goes toward the south and turns around to the north. The wind whirls about continually and comes again on its circuit. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place from which the rivers come, there they return again. All things are full of labor. Man cannot express it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. That which has been is what will be, and that which is done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which it may be said, see, this is new? It's already been in ancient times before us. Here's how we'll summarize these verses. The second reason Solomon thinks all is vanity is because life is nothing more than a pointless cycle. It's just a pointless cycle. Solomon looks at the world around him, and he recognizes that he's caught up in something way bigger than himself, over which he has no real control, and about which there is nothing, ultimately, that he can change. This, to him, speaks to the vanity, the futileness of life. In Solomon's mind, it's pointless to try to attempt anything worthwhile because in the end, everything's just going to keep doing what it's always done anyway. And Solomon uses some examples from the creation to make this point. Verse 5, he says, The sun rises, the sun goes down, the next morning it goes back to where it rose yesterday, and it just completes the same cycle over and over again. Verse 6, the wind has certain patterns, has certain circuits in certain parts of the world. For instance, as a rule, we, we know in southwest Missouri, storms are going to blow in from the west and they're going to blow out toward the east, and that's just the way that it is. And we see that pattern repeated time and time again, month after month, year after year, and all the snow stays north of I-44 now, which I detest. Verse 7, the water cycle. The rivers run into the sea, but the sea never gets full. Why? Because God designed it where water, here's your science lesson for the morning, water would evaporate into the atmosphere and form clouds and then fall to the earth as rain again. And then guess where the rainwater goes? Into the rivers, which run into the sea. And we repeat the process over and over again. For millennia now, right? Over and over. It's this endless cycle. Now there are two ways to look at such things. On one hand, these patterns, these routines that God has established provide stability and comfort. And they remind us God's in control. It's nice to have things we can depend on. The sun's going to come up in the east in the morning, guaranteed. I like that. I'm in that camp. I like that. On the other hand, to some, these patterns, these routines that God has established could be perceived as monotonous and tedious and pointless and I think maybe that's more true when we're out of fellowship with God. We, we see his blessings as, as burdens. And this appears to be Solomon's take. In verse 8, he says, All these kinds of things are full of labor. In other words, they're laborious. They're wearisome to me. 
The sun keeps rising and setting. The wind keeps blowing. The river keeps running. And Solomon's just thinking, will it ever be enough? We've seen, verse 8, we've seen, we've heard these things over and over and over our entire lives. Will it ever be enough? Or will the world just continue forever in this pointless, repetitive cycle with nothing new ever happening, but just the same old routine over and over like a broken record? Solomon is saying it's all vanity. But is life really a pointless cycle? Is the world just spinning aimlessly? Are we just mindlessly going through the motion, stuck on repeat? Or is there a greater purpose behind all of this? Hold that thought. We'll come back to it at the end of the sermon. Let's look at the third reason Solomon says life is vanity. Verse 11. He says, There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of things that are to come by those who will come after To Solomon, all is vanity because no one's going to remember you anyway. Here's a sobering thought. I'm here to encourage you today. Remember that. (laughs) With very rare exception, if Christ tarries in his return long enough, there will come a day when no one on this planet remembers that you were here. For most of us, that will take no longer than two to three generations from our passing. Now, there are relatively few men and women who will be remembered longer than that because of their accomplishments or, in some cases, because of their crimes. But most of us won't be remembered after a short amount of time. We won't have buildings named for us. We won't have any monuments in our honor. And we have to come to terms with that. And we have to be okay with that. Now, obviously, we know of Solomon today because he's in the Bible. But had it not been for that, probably none of us in this room would even know who he was or or what he accomplished. And he was a magnificent, fabulous king of Israel, the most famous king in that entire part of the world. Let me ask you this, to further make my point. Can anybody name the 13th, 14th, and 15th presidents of the United States? Now bear in mind, this is the president of the United States the most powerful man in the world. Who was he? 13th, 14th, 15th. Hopefully you know the 16th. Lincoln was the 16th. In case you're curious, here they are. I had to look them up. Millard Fillmore, Franklin Pierce, James Buchanan. Those men were the most powerful men in the world for a short period of their life. And here we are, not even 200 years later, And how many of us could even say one thing about them or even knew they were presidents? You see the point. Solomon realized this, and he accomplished some amazing things as king of Israel, the greatest of which was the construction and dedication of the temple of God, an amazing, breathtaking, beautiful structure that stood for 400 years. And yet he understood if enough time went by, there would come a day when no one would even remember. And for a king, and kings are all about their legacy, that was a tough pill to swallow. That he could do all this work and accomplish all these things and earn all these accolades in the end, it would all be forgotten. It seemed cruel. It seemed pointless. It seemed like vanity. Again, uplifting sermon, isn't it? Really encouraging. But you know what? 
Solomon's not completely wrong about these things, is he? His arguments have some merit. You can't take your stuff with you when you go. That's true. Life is a cycle in many ways. No one is going to remember you if enough time goes by. Those things are true enough. So the question becomes, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, what do we do with this information? How do we handle these realities? Do we just resign ourselves to the fact that, well, life is hard and unfair, and we're only here for a short time, and it's not going to matter anyway, so let's just walk around depressed and discouraged and hanging our head? Is that how God would have us to live our life? Of course not. The fact is that all these things we've talked about today do have truth in them, but that doesn't mean they have to define how we live. The key to joy in life is discovering why we are here. Why are we here? I'll just save you some time and tell you the reason, okay? The reason that you are here The reason that all of us were put on this earth was to bring glory to God through the worship of his son, Jesus Christ. And our God-given mission on this planet is to tell as many people about Jesus as we can so that they can join us in heaven one day where we will worship him forever and ever. And when you realize that this is the reason why God puts you on the earth, life doesn't seem so much like vanity anymore. It doesn't seem so futile. It doesn't seem pointless because you realize I'm not living for this world. This is not the point of my existence. I'm living for eternity. I'm living for God. And so with that in mind, let's briefly go back and consider Solomon's reasons for saying all is vanity and and see if they do have merit. First, Solomon was upset because you can't take it with you when you go. But what did Jesus say? Don't lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. The solution to the fruit of your labor, your treasure being wasted or lost here on earth, is to quit storing it up here. Store that treasure in heaven where it's kept safe and secure by God himself. How do we do that? How do we store treasure in heaven? We make a deposit every time we serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what? You may not have the biggest house here on earth if you live your life that way. You may not have the newest truck, and you may not have the nicest clothes in this life, but you'll have something far better, that pearl of great price, that treasure that awaits you in heaven. When you think about it that way, it changes your whole outlook. I'm not here for this world. Second, Solomon was disillusioned because he viewed life as a pointless cycle. But what does the Bible say? The Bible says in Colossians 1, all things were created by Jesus, through Jesus, and for Jesus, and that in Jesus all things consist or are held together. What this tells us is that life is not a pointless cycle with no objective. This this earth is not merely a top that God just gave a good spin and then walked away from, but rather all that exists according to Colossians 1, exists for the purpose of bringing glory to Jesus Christ. God created this world, and he created you and me as a loved gift from a father to his son. We exist for Jesus. And furthermore, through Jesus, Colossians 1 says that God is reconciling all things to himself. One day in the very near future, the climax of human history will take place. Christ will return. And when he does, 
every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You looking for the point of life? Right there it is. It's not a pointless cycle. It has a point, and his name is Jesus. And one day, everything around us, the things that we're so used to in this world, all the patterns, all the routines that God has established, all of those will come to an end, and they'll culminate in the return of the Son of God, and he will make all things new. Third, Solomon thought life was vanity because people don't remember you. But listen, when you fully give your life to Jesus Christ, your name, your remembrance, doesn't matter quite so much anymore. And I really believe the closer we get to him, all that matters is his name. I think about John the Baptist saying, he must increase, I must decrease. And when you realize that life is all about bringing glory to Jesus and not bringing glory to yourself, how long that you're remembered by your fellow man just doesn't seem quite as important anymore. This doesn't matter that much. I've shared with you all before the words of Count Zizendorf. I love that name. Here's what he said the goal of his life was. Three things. Preach the gospel. Die. Be forgotten. I like that. Some of you are like, I don't like that at all. It's awful. Preach the gospel die, be forgotten. And if that's truly our goal, we can be at peace no matter whether people remember us for long or not. And I hope that you see from these things that when we live for Christ, when we live for eternity, it changes everything. It changes our entire perspective. It allows us to live our life with peace and joy instead of with disillusionment and despair. I would ask you today, are you like Solomon? Does it feel like, are you at a place right now where it feels like everything in your life is just vanity? That everything's futile? That everything's pointless? I'm here to tell you today, there is one who can bring your life meaning and hope. And his name is Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches that if we will admit our sin and believe that Jesus died on the cross for us and rose again and truly and fully surrender our life to him, that he'll save us from our sin and that he'll give us eternal life. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity, said the preacher, but it doesn't have to be that way. Life can be full and it can be rich and it can be meaningful, but only when it's lived for Jesus and not for self. When our purpose is found in him, then and only then, we'll have joy. Would you bow your heads with me, please, and let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you for your word. Lord, it's so good. Thank you, Lord. God, help us to remember that our hope is found in you. Help us, Lord, not to be so concerned with the legacy for ourselves as we are concerned with telling others about you and bringing you glory. Lord, use this message now as you desire in each and every heart in this room. We praise you because we know you will. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.